Well, good morning, everyone. As uh, Cameron said, we're Chris and Joy Copeland serving in Galway, Ireland. Uh, we traveled 5,051 miles to be with you this morning. So, yeah. But don't worry, we took a plane. So we didn't, we didn't have to walk or swim or anything, so we're good. <laughs> so uh, we serve in Galway, Ireland. Here's a, a kind of an aerial shot of Galway, uh, about two kilometers from our house. Uh, that cathedral, uh, even though it looks like it's centuries old, is actually built in the 1950s. So it's, it's one of those fun slides I like to show because I ask a question like, when do you think this was built? And people are like, oh, like 780 or whatever. And I'm like, nope, 1950. Yeah. So this is um, the day that we arrived in Ireland, July 12th, July 13th, sorry, July 13th, 2020. Um, and why not move right as the pandemic started, because, you know, that's just the way we roll. Why not? Let's give it a whirl, see what happens. It's fun. <laughs> so when we arrived, obviously, right in the middle of COVID, uh, we had lots uh, of COVID restrictions and things. I'll talk about that in my sermon, but um, this was us on a Sunday morning. I started leading worship, and we, we had to sit in family groups, so I had to lead worship with my family group, and that, so that's Joy and the, and the boys that went with us, uh, standing behind us. These are our neighbors, um, Judy, Shay, Matthew, Daniel, James, and Lucy Walsh. Um, Lucy is the baby there. You can't see one of the kids because he's not there. But she does not like me. I don't know why. I am a hoot and a delight. So after, you can all come out to the table and just see how wonderful I am. And maybe you can just pray for this little girl to start loving me. That would be great. Thank you. And I'll talk a little bit more about this family in, our, in my sermon as well. Uh, so these are our boys that went with us to Ireland. We have three boys. One stayed in, in Colorado, and then uh, Gage and Gavin came with us. Uh, and this was them uh, getting ready to go to school uh, at St. Mary's. Uh, it was a Catholic-run high school. Uh, when they went for their first year, it was all boys. And then the second year, they amalgamated with a, uh, an all-female school. So they actually got to have girls around, which isn't exciting for them. Um, <laughs> And they love these uniforms. I don't know if you could tell, man. They loved wearing <laughs> ties and sweaters to, to, to school. That was so exciting for them. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't exciting. Uh, and uh, they started to make some friends uh, once, once they were able to start going to school physically after COVID. Uh, and if you want to show me the next slide. <clears throat> they actually started to... Um, invite their friends over. They asked us, and I'll talk more about this in my sermon as well, but they asked us if they could have... Um, boys over to play D&D, &D, Dungeons and Dragons, right? Uh, and what they wanted to do is they wanted to use it as an evangelism tool. They wanted to create stories that actually had uh, like a Messiah type figure in it and some kind of moral dilemmas and religious discussions kind of flowed out of that. So it was really exciting to see all the, uh, the, the movement for God that happened while they did this. So um, these are the kids um, part of the kids, there's one missing, his name is Paul. I'll just introduce him now so we don't have to like spend too much time on the other slide, but you'll see him in one of the other slides. He's laying across the lap of the rest of them. He is um, a, an agnostic and a very outspoken one at that. He does not really, well, obviously you know what an agnostic is, and that's him. <laughs> um, and so these other kids though, that's Gabriel. I just have to, sorry for turning my back on you, but I've got to point him out. Gabriel's the one down here. Um, he's a great kid. I mean, I'm talking like close to perfection kid. Um, kids over there, 
I'm just saying. Like this kid. No, I'm not looking at you in the pink shirt. Don't worry. You're okay. Um, <laughs> you're fine. Um, no, no. He, he, like, he's 18 years old and literally, don't apologize for me. He literally obeys his parents, like, to the letter, um, to the T. And so, like, so much so that his parents will say, at 18, you have to be home at 9, and he will be home at 9. Like, that's just how good of a kid he is. However, and I think this is what you have, pink shirt, he, um, he doesn't know Jesus and doesn't think he needs him. And so that's where, that's where you've got him one up, right there. <laughs> um, and so he, he, that's how good of a, that, he just thinks, I'm, I'm good. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good kid. Why do I need Jesus? And that's about it for him. Um, Jenny is the only girl in our group here. She and Ryan are dating. Jenny is a Wiccan, but I believe she is now leaning more away from that. Praise the Lord. And Ryan is super interested in Jesus. Chris will talk to you more about him later. Gavin is my son, the youngest right over there. Um, Alex, he's the long hair boy. Chris will talk to you more about him too. Um, I love these kids. Gage is my strong man boy. And that's Yash. He's a Hindu um, when he feels like it. Sometimes. <laughs> it depends on how he feels. Sometimes he'll eat beef. Sometimes he won't. Um, but yeah, these kids have our heart. And this is a ministry God has prepared, has like just plopped on our doorstep. So Thanksgiving, we all love Thanksgiving here in the States, and apparently these kids wanted to know what it was like. So Alex said to me one day, hey, you guys celebrate Thanksgiving. Are you going to celebrate it here? And we thought, do you want us to? And they said, yeah, will you feed us? And we said, sure. So we, we got all the stuff, and we made all the food, and um, everybody showed up but Alex, the one kid who said, hey can you serve us Thanksgiving dinner? So I was like, we are not serving. We're not eating without this kid. So Chris and Gavin hop in the car and they go grab him. And the boy was sleeping. Like, like, come on. At 3 p.m. Three. Yeah, we met at three. It wasn't like 9 a.m. So they woke him up and brought him over. But the really cool thing about these boys is that um, they were really, really awesome. As we went around the table, they started to say the things that they were thankful for. And they were really heartfelt, really cool. Um, and it just, it, it touched us in so many ways. And we were just really excited to start building a relationship with these lads. So this was, uh, this is Ryan. He was the one that first started asking us questions about Christianity and the Bible. And uh, as, as we're having one of these discussions, he mentions, you know, he's never really read a Bible before. And I said, would you like one? And he said, yeah, I would love one. And so we went to the one Christian bookstore in city center Galway and we bought him a Bible. And this is us giving it to him uh, after, after school one day. So he's still got his Mary's tie on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. And, and he's still asking questions. It's been two years now. Um, he's still asking questions and sometimes he's, he seems like he's so close, but then other times it seems like he's so far away. So we've still, still got work to do with him. A really cool story. Sorry. Yeah, I absolutely. Just, I didn't share this last service, but I have to say this was really cool. We were, um, we were all just sitting around one day without our, without our kids cause they were gone doing stuff. And Ryan and Jenny were there and, um, and Jenny starts asking biblical questions and Ryan starts answering them correctly. And I was like, Yes. So I had to like stop myself from t crying, you know, because I'm like, oh my gosh, and from saying anything. But I was like, go, God, go. So it was just really cool. Yeah. And then these, uh, these kids who started with D&D &D and then Thanksgiving just started hanging out at our house. We made it a safe place for them. And uh, last summer, our boys, after they graduated from secondary school, they came back to Colorado to visit and California to visit family and hang out. And 
This is a picture of them still coming to our house, still hanging out with us, still, uh, we made homemade corn dogs. But, I mean, what an American thing to do, right? And uh, we sat around the table and we had more discussions. So these kids just love coming and hanging out with us. And I think it's just because we love them as they are. We love them as Jesus would love them. So the kid laying across the lap, that's Paul. And then um, just quickly notice the progression of cutting of Alex's hair, how it went from really long. <laughs> now it's getting shorter. He's shorter. the highest one in the photo there. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Okay, so Chris is going to talk more about Alex, like I said, um, later on. But because of Alex's influence, um, this young man over on the side in the suit, his name is Aina. Um, Aina, oh, I love this kid too. Um, I love these kids, in case you can't tell. So Aina and Alex were in class one day um, in college, and they were talking because Alex was reading his Bible off of his phone. And Aina said, uh, what are you doing? He said, oh, I'm just reading my Bible. And he said, What? And he goes, yeah. And so he handed it to him, and so Anna starts reading it. And Anna's like, wow, that's really cool. He said, well, yeah, do you want to go to church with me? He said, sure. So we picked up Alex for church one morning, and um, we went and picked up Anna. And Anna was just really enthralled with the church. Um, and so afterwards, we went out to lunch, and we were just chatting with him. And he said he wanted to come back the next week. So we went and picked him up as well and um, brought him to church. And afterwards, we had lunch again. And he said, you know, what's really cool about this is that when your pastor goes up and says, open your Bible, you all have Bibles that you can open up as well and make sure that he's really speaking to you out of what God says of, of, of the Bible. And we're like, yeah, um, that is really cool. And so we were really excited because um, Anna kept getting like more interested. Now, just on a quick side note, in Ireland, it is not easy to come to Christ. Um, we don't get like an altar call and then have, you know, a ton of people, even two really people come to faith in Christ. We've been there for three years and it's just really slow going. So this, it, it's just a very dark spiritual place. So with Aina, we were like, oh, this is really cool. So we said, do you want a Bible? And he said, yeah, I would love that. Well, the next week he and his family went on holiday and then the following week his grandfather passed. So we expressed our condolences and offered anything that he needed. And then the next week he texted Alex and then he texted me and he said, hey guys, thanks so much for inviting me to church, um, but I'm gonna take a step back in my pursuit of religion. Um, I'm just not quite there yet. When in truth, what really it is, it's a girl. We think it's a girl who's kind of like, you know. So um, my reason for bringing him up to you is, you know, please pray for, for Ana. And, um, there's two things you can pray for. I'm not going to tell you which one to pray for. You can choose which one you want to pray for. You can pray that the girl that Anna is interested in and who's interested in him, that she comes with him to church, or you can pray that she goes away. <laughs> so it's up to you. You can decide. I'm not here to tell you how to pray, but just please pray for Anna. There you go. I'm a hoot. I told you. <laughs> She'll be here all week, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is you. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay, so what do we do in Ireland? Um, aside from telling people about Jesus, um, I am an <clears throat> author. I write Christian fiction for women with a hint of romance, a whole lot of redemption and forgiveness, and Jesus. That is my goal. That is what I do. I have a ton of books on Amazon. Um, I bring that up only because a lady at our church, her name is Noreen, 
she has a daughter I want my son to marry, but he doesn't know that yet. Um, <laughs> so, she, so she came up to me. She said, how was your week? And I said, oh, it was really good. You know, I, I was on a tight deadline. I finished it. I sent my manuscript to my editor. And she said, wait, you're a writer? I said, yeah. I'm a Christian fiction. I told her everything I just told you. And she said, there's a such thing as a Christian fiction author with romance? And I said, well, there's a lot of us in this world. And she said, oh my gosh, I did not know that. I had no idea that that existed. My daughter loves to read, and, um, and I would just love to, to know more about that. Well, I just so happened to bring a ton of books to Ireland that weren't my own, that were uh, um, other authors. So I gave them all to her because I have no space in my house for them. And I thought it would be good for her daughter to read them. And she was just like eating them up. So just to know that, like there are, just to know that there are really Christian fiction authors out there who share the love of Christ, it was just mind-blowing for her. So more of what we do in Ireland. Uh, we work at a church called Galway City Baptist Church. It meets in the, Na- the National School of Nakhnakara, which is a primary school, uh, in the gymnasium with bright orange and blue uh, walls you'll see in a minute. And uh, we stuff everything in a closet, pull it out on Saturday, set it up, and then push it back into a closet on Sunday after church. Um, but there's it's a church of about 120 people, very diverse uh, if you want to go to that next slide. This was right, uh, like, I don't know, a month ago, right before we left uh, Ireland to come here, uh, we had a cultural celebration day. And so over 50% of our church is African. Um, not like generations past, but like, like just count, come over from Africa. Uh, and so we, we got to hear songs in different languages. Um, we have, you know, Indians and, and we have Asians and uh, Eastern Europeans. And there's lots of different people in our church besides Irish um, which is really exciting to, to work with. It's a little difficult because everybody has their own cultural nuances. And so we, we studied for seven years on how to minister to the Irish and then we get there and now there's 22 other nationalities we have to figure out how to minister to. Uh, right after we got there, I didn't know this was going to happen either, but the worship leader had to step down uh, due to some personal things going on. And so uh, they basically said, Chris, you can lead worship. Do you want to be the new worship pastor? And so I started <laughs> leading worship every week. And uh, because it was COVID and I didn't know the church that great at this point, I didn't know who could sing or play. So it started off with just me singing and playing because, you know, COVID restrictions. And then slowly I figured out, okay, this person can sing, that person can play guitar. And I was able to piece together over two and a half, almost three years, uh, a worship team finally. Um, So it's been exciting to do that. And then when I'm not uh, worship leading, uh, I preach about once a month at our church. We have several elders and a couple pastors that preach. uh, And so uh, not only do I preach at Galway City Baptist Church, but sometimes we get loaned out to some sister churches. There's a church... that top photo up there is uh, me preaching at Furbo Baptist Church, which is about 20 minutes from uh, where we live, and it's right in the middle of the Gale Talk, which is where they speak mainly Irish. Uh, I don't know Irish, so I preached in, in English, but uh, sometimes we go there. The congregation's only about 12 people. This is the whole congregation, um, and so it's a, it's a very small church, but they need help, and they, they have no full-time pastor right now. And then other times, I'll, I'll go up and preach to... Um, to a church in Sligo, um, which is that bottom picture with, that's with the white walls. Um, and that's two and a half hours from us. So it's been, it's been really good to, to do that, to be that pastoral role in Ireland. This one, I want to tell you a little bit of the story. So that, uh, that giant beast uh, is my son, uh, the really tall one with his arms. Uh, 
he does strongman, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, he came up to me and he said, Dad, I want to do a ministry here, just like what I did when I was a kid. So in Colorado, there was this church that did a thing called Modern Day Nights, and it was for boys, 7 to 12 years old. uh, But basically, it's like church Boy Scouts in a way, but teaching them how to be men of God and how to be, how to grow up with biblical man ideas uh, and to give them chances for fathers and sons to bond or uh, father figures and, and sons to bond. And so I was like, man, that would be great. I would love for you to do that. I'll help you, but you get to lead it. It's all you. Like you do the lessons, you figure out the games. I'll just be there to help you. And he did, and he's run with it. Um, started it in January. We had six kids show up. By June, when we ended, uh, we had 11 kids, and they were really upset we ended for the summer. So they're excited to start back up in, in, uh, in, this, in September. So we're excited to see how, where that goes. So um, we've noticed a decline in marriages, especially in the Christian community. It's been really tough, I think. I think Satan is really um, intent on destroying the family unit, and what better way to start than with the marriages? And so um, as we have discovered that happening here in the States, it's also happened in Ireland. So Chris and I um, prayed about it, and we thought, you know, maybe we should start a a marriage group. And this is our marriage group, um, minus the couple from Ireland who just on our last meeting, she just so happened to go into labor for her 10th child. It's a lot of children, but they're adorable little redheads running around. They're so sweet. Um, and so we, we really just come together as a group and just, we went through a small, well, it took like maybe 10 minutes a day or a week, 10 a minutes week. a week, a week to go through <clears throat> this book that we went through. Um, so if any of you know any good marriage books, we're going to continue on again in September. Um, just let us know. Just a quick warning though, they don't like to read. So it makes it a little challenging to have a marriage study <laughs> when they don't like to read. I mean, the, seriously, it took 10 to 15 minutes, really. Um, but it was great facilitating the discussions. So if you know of any type of book or, I don't know, DVD, I think I just aged myself, um, or, <laughs> or any streaming. type of streaming, <laughs> there we go, any type of something like that, that would be great. Just come to our table out there and let us know because we're looking to bring something back to really help our, our group dive deeper into marriages. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is kind of where we are with our support. Um, we were 100% when we left in 2020, uh, but because of all the things that have happened in the world, COVID and inflation and all that mess, um, we have dropped. And we've also had some um, partners pass away, and uh, that happens. Uh, so we're, short, we're at about 86%. Um, we're short about 1,800 or so a month, about 22,000 a year. Uh, and so we're, we're here this summer trying to make up that difference so that we can continue to stay in Ireland. So anyway, if you're interested, if God is pulling on your heart to, to support us or to you know, partner with us financially, we have a table just outside the doors there over to this side, whatever that is, the left. Um, and uh, we'd love to chat with you. Uh, we have prayer cards. We'd love you to take one and pray for us. Uh, we have um, a newsletter list that you can sign up for. We send one email a month just letting you know what we're up to and how you can pray for us. So we'd love for you to, to come chat with us as well. And this slide, um, there's a famous missionary named William Carey, maybe you've heard of him, uh, who, to India. And so he was talking to a pastor friend of his who was going to partner with him. And he said, if you hold the rope, I'll go down into the pit. 
And we thought that was a great analogy of like what missionaries need. We need people to be holding the ropes for us, right? As we go into dark spiritual areas. And Ireland is a dark spiritual area. Uh, and so as kind of a little reminder, we, we went to Home Depot and we cut hundreds of little lengths of green rope and melted the ends and brought them with us. So uh, we'd love for you to come to our table and take a little green rope and stick it in your Bible. It's thin. You can stick it in your Bible. And every time you see it, remember us. Use it as a bookmark and remember us. Pray for us. Pray for the, the D&D kids. Uh, pray for Gage, who's leading Modern Day Nights. Um, pray for Ana, who... We still have that Bible on our mantle, and every time we see it, we pray for him, uh, and we're, we're dying to give it to him. So, um, so anyway, that's our presentation. Thank you, Joy. <laughs> Joy. <laughs> and I just want you to let you know, uh, I couldn't have asked for a better uh, partner in all of this. Joy is such an amazing woman, and she's so funny, right? <laughs> if she wasn't an author, she could have been a stand-up comedian, I think. But I love that lady. So, show of hands, how many of you have watched a strongman competition on TV? Yeah, yeah. I know more about strongman than I wish to know uh, because my middle son, as I mentioned, is competing in strongman since he was 16 uh, when we still lived in Colorado. And then we moved to Ireland and he's continued competing and he joined a gym where he has a coach who is... Uh, the gym is owned by, help me, Joy, I always get this wrong, uh, the world's strongest woman and UK's strongest man. Ireland. Ireland's strongest man, that's what it was, okay. So anyway, these people know what they're doing, right? And uh, so he's been under their wings and he's been growing and, and, and training. Um, but I don't know if you've ever heard of the Husafell stone, that's what's in this picture here. If you haven't, I'll explain it to you. So a Husafell stone is a legendary lifting stone that comes from Husafell, Iceland. And the original stone weighs about 410 pounds. But replicas of various sorts and weights have been used in strongman competitions all over the world. The one that Gage is uh, using in Ireland is a giant V-shaped metal box like this picture that holds a varying amount of weight plates that you put inside of it to get it to the, the weight that they need for that event. And as you can see from the picture, when you hold it, the Husafell stone blocks your field of vision. But you're still required to, to run or fast waddle down this long line, or down a row, turn around and repeat several times until time run, runs out. And then the person with the most laps while holding the most weight wins that event. When you compete in this event, obviously you can't see where you're going. You have to trust your coach. Your coach runs alongside of you yelling, run, 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 stop, turn around, run, 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 stop, turn around. Sometimes he has to correct your direction if you kind of veer off course. I wanted to share this today because I think this is a great example of living a life surrendered to God. First, we need to deny ourselves and pick up our cross, and then God directs us forward. God may not always tell us where we're going, but he simply tells us to go. Sometimes he has to correct our course when we veer off to the left or to the right. But as Christians, our job is to listen to our coach, to listen to God. Do what he wants us to do and go where he wants us to go, even if we can't see the destination. Our job is to trust. So today I'm going to look at uh, uh, Genesis chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 12, and I'll be looking at verses 1 through 10. 
Give you a minute to turn there while I take a sip of water. And we're going to look at how an ordinary man in the Old Testament was told to go, how he responded and what it cost him, and then what the Lord did through that obedience. And then while I do that, I'll try to parallel some of our personal story of serving in Galway, Ireland as missionaries. So in verse 1 of chapter 12, we see the Lord talking to Abram, who would later be renamed Abraham. We all know who that is. God says to him, verse 1, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now notice something important here. God doesn't even tell Abram where he wants him to go. God just tells him to go to the land that he will eventually show him. God only told Abram to trust and obey. Leaving your homeland and your family was a much more difficult decision in a traditional society like Abram's than in today's more mobile and individualistic society. Abram had to give up his larger family's wealth and security. He had to exchange the known for the unknown. What do we know about Abram at this point? We know he was middle-aged. We know he was prosperous and settled, and he was comfortable. He had every reason to stay where he was, but Abram risked everything he held most dear to obey God's call. Some of you may already know some of our story. We were here four years ago sharing. Four years ago? Yeah, four years ago. Uh, But for those of you who don't, here's a brief synopsis. In 2012, my wife told me to take a year to pray about my vocation. She regrets that now, I'm sure, but she told me to take a year and and, uh, pray about my vocation. I had been working in uh, IT and higher education for about 20 years, and I felt like God had something else for me to do. So I spent a year praying about my vocation. And then through my prayers, I felt like God was calling us to missions. But I pushed back. Surely you don't want us to do missions, God. We're comfortable here. We just bought a house in Colorado. I was making decent money. We were surviving anyway. We had three young sons. We felt like Colorado was our forever home. But God kept impressing on my heart that we needed to pursue missions. I didn't think that my wife would be on board with this. Uh, She loved our home. She loved our life in Colorado. And to make matters more complicated, and I have her permission to share this this morning, she uh, was on anxiety medication due to debilitating bouts of anxiety. What was God thinking? But to my wife's credit, after much discussion and prayer, we both decided to pursue God's call to go into missions. Like Abram, we too had to trust and obey. Now back to Abram. Abram had every reason to stay as we did. And yet he obeyed. I love in verse 4, if you can skip ahead, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. There's no argument from Abram, no discussion, no negotiation. He simply went. Abram obeyed when he didn't know the where, the how, the why, the when. What a lesson that is for us today in how to live in faith and obedience to God. 
Let's go back a little to verses two and three, where we hear a little bit more about God's plan. God says, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. After Abram leaves everything behind and goes into the unknown, God promises to do three things for him. To make a great nation of him, to bless him, and to make his name great so that he can be a blessing. Don't miss that. God's plan is that Abram should be a blessing to those around him. His leaving would start a chain reaction. If Abram obeyed and left Ur, God would do three things for him so that he could be a blessing in the land. Abram's calling had a purpose. His obedience would bring great blessing. He can't fulfill the second command to be a blessing unless he goes obeying the first. This is what we call a conditional blessing. In response to his obedience, God promised to bless Abram. And now in verses 4 through 9, we see how Abram was a blessing to those around him. Starting in verse 4, so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to take to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the, on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So let's kind of recap a little bit. When Abram was preparing to leave Haran, he took his wife. Good start, right? He took his brother's son, Lot, all their possessions, and the people they had acquired in Haran. But what does that mean? The word translated as people here literally means souls. So this getting of souls may refer to evangelizing that Abram did among the people at Haran. It seems that he may have convinced people by his influence to follow his God, Yahweh. And then after they passed through the land of Canaan, the Lord appeared to Abram and said that he would give this land to his offspring. So in response, Abram built an altar. An altar is not only a symbol of where God reveals himself, but it's also a place where praises and prayers are given up to God. Abram does this several times at various points. At Shechem in verse 6 and east of Bethel in verse 8. At the second location, Abram called on the name of the Lord. What does that mean? It means that he made a proclamation of Yahweh by name. Martin Luther translated this verb as preached. And this is a good description of what Abram did. Abram became a witness in the midst of the Canaanites who were then in the land. This was an act of evangelism. God planted Abram amid, amid, sorry, 
I'm going to try that again. God planted Abram amid some of the most wicked people on earth. We all remember Sodom and Gomorrah. That was where he was. And yet, he is boldly proclaiming the name of the Lord among these lost people. In the immediate future, this is how God intended for Abram to be a blessing to those around him. In Ireland over the last three years, our family has strived to be a blessing to those around us. I want to give you an example. We talked a little bit about it in the presentation. Are we already up there? Oh, we're already up there. So in Ireland over the last three years, um, <clears throat> we've, our sons, as they started to make friends at school, and we invited them to uh, come to play D&D at our house, and uh, as I said before, they kind of made it as a way to evangelize their friends by creating stories of, uh, that posed moral dilemmas and had like a Messiah-Savior type figure in it and religious overtones. And this strategy worked and many interesting discussions about prayer, religion, Christianity, and moral choices were discussed among, among these young men during their time playing. What we didn't tell you during our presentation is that we decided early on to just accept them as they were. We wanted our home to be a comfortable and safe space for these men and one lady. These people come from broken homes. Many of them are addicted to drugs and alcohol. There was language. There were inappropriate t-shirts. There were off-color jokes. None of them had any religious affiliation at all, and some didn't believe in God. One of them in particular, as we said, was very vocal about his not believing in God. Joy and I made it our task to make them feel at home and to love them as they were. We wanted to be a blessing to them. We started making dinner for them when they played D&D together for 10 to 12 hour sessions. They got hungry and they ate a lot. We would pray with them before we ate and uh, they would all respectfully join in, some of them even taking off their hats. We started talking to them and getting to know them. Joy would ask if uh, they had any prayer requests, and, and one boy actually said, yeah, I would love for you to pray for this. Opening our homes and making them feel comfortable opened up a safe space for them to be themselves. And it wasn't long before the lads started coming to our house outside of D&D game nights, and we had many wonderful conversations about Jesus, Christianity, and the Bible. As I told you during our presentation, Ryan even asked for a Bible, so we gave him one. Several of them have come to church with us at various times when we invited them. And we always invite them. <laughs> Every week, we're like, guys, you want to go to church? No? Nope. All right. Next week, we'll ask you again. One particular uh, young man named Alex even gave his life to the Lord. And I want to tell you quickly his story. So Alex is Lithuanian on his mother's side and Russian on his father's side. When Ireland allowed Ukrainian refugees to settle there after, uh, while the war was going on, uh, we ended up with a few Ukrainians attending our church. When they first arrived, I would see uh, one man, a Ukrainian named Igor, sitting in one of the front rows while I was preaching. And he was nodding his head and, and smiling and really seemed into what I was saying that morning. Turns out he didn't speak any English at all. <laughs> yeah, that took my ego down just a little bit, but that's okay. 
So when we learned that they only spoke, uh, only spoke Ukrainian and, and Russian, Joy wondered if there was a way that we could get a translator for them. The church agreed to pay for a translator, and so now we just needed to find one. And then our sons reminded us that Alex speaks fluent Russian. So we asked him if he would be interested in translating the service for the Ukrainians. He agreed and started coming to church with us to translate. Now don't miss this. We asked a non-Christian young man to translate sermons at church for Ukrainian refugees. There's a strategy here. We're not sure if Alex would have ever attended church with us without this opportunity in place. In fact, he was one of the ones that actually had the most disparaging comments about Christians. But now here he is in church, translating. What a great way for him to hear the gospel, right? So we got a translator for the Ukrainians and a non-Christian in church. Two birds with one stone. Anyway, God has a great sense of humor it turns out Igor, the Ukrainian, was one of the leaders at his church in the Ukraine. And so when Alex started translating the sermon, Igor asked Alex if he understood what he was telling him, and specifically the difference between a believer and a non-believer. Alex said no. So the sermon did not get translated. At that point, Alex uh, was, was the receiver of the gospel message, and Igor opened up his Bible and started sharing verses and teaching him about what it means to be a Christian. God's funny that way. So he, basically that, that, that uh, pattern happened for another two or three, four weeks maybe. And then one day after church, Igor walks up to me with Alex and told me through Alex's translation that he's ready to give his life to the Lord. And so I asked him, is that true, Alex? And he said, yes. And then because Igor is such a commanding presence, I said, he's not pressuring you to do this, right? This is your own decision. And he said, yeah, he wouldn't do anything he didn't want to do. So we prayed with him and he accepted the Lord right there in church. It was an amazing moment. As Joyce said, it's slow going in Ireland. So have somebody come to faith in this manner, this quickly is a miracle, a miracle of miracles. Who would have thought that a war in the Ukraine would bring a man who would share the gospel with a young lad who hung out at our house and played Dungeons and Dragons with our sons? What Satan meant for evil, God redeemed for good. Sorry. It gets me every time. Alex has been attending church with us ever since. It's been over a year now. After church, before we drive him home, uh, we eat lunch with him and we read through the Bible together, answering any questions that, that, we that he has. Uh, we've read through the Gospels and Acts and James, and we started Proverbs right before we left. And we actually even did some reading of Proverbs with him while we were here. We created a WhatsApp group and just kept, kept talking about the Bible. He is growing exponentially in his faith and has some deep and amazing questions. Yes, there's still some sanctification that needs to happen. Right? There's still some things that he needs to work through, but that's, that's God's job. We're just there to love him and to teach him as much as we can. He even started evangelizing the other lads in the D&D group and has had some long, deep spiritual conversations with many of them. Our willingness to be a blessing 
to those around us opened up the door for Alex to come to faith. God did all the work, but he used us, our sons, and a Ukrainian named Igor to be his vessels. We only needed to be willing to be a blessing to those around us like Abram. Now let's get back to Abram. So Abram is traveling to the land that God called him to go to, the land that he promised to his offspring. And then starting in verse 10, Abram gets to the land that God promised him, and there's a great famine. Abram's first impression of the land might have left him wondering if God's promise was a blessing or a curse. Famine was squeezing the life out of the land. The drought was so severe that Abram decided to leave and travel to Egypt, where he would wait out the drought. In Egypt, you may not know this, but the annual flooding of the, of the Nile River Valley provided water even in the driest of conditions. In verse 10, it says that Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there until the drought is over. What do we learn from that? What we learn is that sometimes an act of faith is followed by a famine. We see in the beginning of chapter 12 that God calls Abram to go from your country and your kindred to your father's house, uh, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And then in verse 4, it says that Abram went, as the Lord had told him. This shows an incredible amount of faith on Abram's part. He didn't argue or question ask. He just went. He listens and obeys. Maybe he doesn't completely understand, but he goes anyway. Now, we would think that Abram's obedience would be rewarded with favor by God in the land that he sent him to. But we see that this isn't so. There was a famine in the land. The conditions were not favorable. In the life of faith, things are not always favorable. Faith is, about, is not about what we deserve. Faith is about trusting in God even in the famine. Faith is about... Uh, Trusting in God even during the difficult times when God is silent. Faith is about enduring the desolate seasons of our life. Yes, someday we will receive an eternal reward, but in those moments of faith on earth, we must endure despite how difficult life becomes. When Joy and I received the call to go to Ireland as missionaries, it was 2013. By 2014, we were appointed by World Venture, our missions organization, and we went to Ireland on our vision trip. Upon returning to Colorado, we started to raise the financial support that would allow us to go there and, li and live and do ministry. That process was difficult and slow. It took us six years. But we endured because we felt like this is what God wanted us to do, and we had faith in God's plan. As we got close to raising 100% of our support, I began to dream of doing ministry at Galway City Baptist Church, where we serve. Going to pubs to listen to traditional Irish music and, and uh, meeting everyone for whom we had been praying for several years. Like Abram, I was expecting a promised land. But then COVID happened. When we finally reached our full support and arrived in Ireland in July 2020, it was in the middle of COVID lockdowns. We spent our first two weeks in Ireland in COVID quarantine, unable to leave our home without 
uh, and, and we didn't have the ability to see the people that we had come to, to know and love through our praying for several years. I remember standing at our window and watching people walk by our house and dying to speak to them, but I couldn't step out of my door until those 10 days were up. We couldn't even meet with people from our church because church wasn't able to gather and was only being live streamed at that time. To make matters worse, we were grieving the loss of our oldest son who decided to stay in the States to attend university. The plan was for him to come with us, but at the last minute, he decided to stay back. Our other two sons not only grieved the loss of their brother, but their friends that they left behind and the lack of the ability for them to make new friends because school was online, so they weren't even getting together with people their age. My wife's anxiety flared up during the early months of our being in Ireland with how difficult it was. As a result, she needed to change medications and go to counseling to help deal with the losses and the stress accompanied by them. Things seemed very grim for us. It was a famine in the land that God called us to go to. Now, I'm certainly not comparing Abram's great faith with our faith, but this act of faith that we had in following God's call and moving to Ireland was definitely followed by a famine for us. Even though we fully believed that God wanted us in Ireland, there were times when things were so bleak that we began to doubt if we had made the right decision and wondered why God would bring us here during such a time as this. But God is good. And we were able to make great connections with our neighbors during these lockdowns. Connections that we wouldn't have made if we were not all forced to stay at home. The neighbors that live on our left, as Joy said, are Shay and Judy Walsh. They have four kids, three boys and a young little daughter who will one day love Joy. Now, normally, this family is on the go full-time with both parents working full-time and their boys all competing in various sports uh, like hurling and Celtic football. They would never be home if life is normal, like we're experiencing now. They're, they're hardly ever home. We hardly ever see them. But as a result of our being stuck at home, we were able to make great connections with them. We even started to meet in our driveways and have tea and biscuits over the short wall that divides our home from theirs in keeping with COVID restrictions. We would enjoy a nice cup of tea and have long conversations over our wall. When the restrictions were over, they even came to church with us a few times. You see, even in the famine, God's will is done. And the famine eventually ended for us. COVID eased up. When they invited all the Ukrainians to come live in Ireland, uh, they didn't know how they were going to impose restrictions, so they just lifted everything overnight. Suddenly, we went from being restricted to nothing at all. But that was great for us, because now we're able to do more things, meet with more people, make friends and connections, and do ministry face-to-face. -face. And God has done some powerful things in Ireland over the last three years. We have more stories that we could tell you, but time will not allow us in this moment because you probably want to go to lunch at some point. But feel free to find us after the service at our table, and we'd love to tell you more stories. Now, I want to touch on one more element of Abram's story. 
When God called them to go to a foreign land to be a blessing, there was a short-term realization and there was a long-term realization of how Abram, later known as Abraham, was a blessing to the nations. The short-term impact we've already talked about, it happened when Abram went in faith to this foreign land and was a blessing to those around him by evangelizing and proclaiming the name of the Lord in a wicked place. The long-term realization <coughs> excuse me, of Abraham being a blessing is that out of the line of Abraham, Jesus descended. If you look at Matthew 1 where it talks about the genealogy of Jesus, you will see that Jesus comes directly from Abraham's line. Now, what does this mean for us? It means that when we become a Christian, we are Abraham's spiritual children. How many of you remember that song from Sunday school? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. No, nobody went left. Yeah, thank you. Left arm, right arm. Yeah, yeah. I was waiting for that. The call that God gave to Abraham about being a blessing to those around him applies to us. As Abraham's, or as Abraham's spiritual children, we are conduits through which God touches other people. As we share Christ with people around us, we bring blessing to others. We are all called by God to bring the message of the gospel to those who do not belong to his kingdom. We bring the hope of the gospel to the hopeless in this world, and by doing so, we become a blessing to those around us. Now, I want you to turn to one more verse for me. On the other side of the Bible, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 7, 9 and 10. follow along with me. It says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. If this verse is not already underlined or highlighted in your Bible, please do that now. This is the fulfillment of what God promised Abraham. When God promised to bless Abraham with many descendants, he didn't necessarily mean that they would all be his direct descendants, but we are all blood-related. We become a blood relative because of the blood of Jesus. Abram's lineage brought us Jesus who blesses all mankind by offering us the gift of eternal life and restoration of our relationship with our creator. This scene that we just read in Revelation is the fruition of this blessing that was promised to Abraham. Now we are called to bring that blessing to those around us. And when we do, we add to that great multitude that no one can number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. God is a missional God. Theologian John Stott once, once said this. He says, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. Just before we left Ireland, 
uh, we had a cultural celebration day during our Sunday service. We have over 22 nationalities represented in our little church in Galway. And on this special Sunday, we sang songs in English, Hindi, Romanian, French, Zulu, Sotu, and other countless African dialects. We got to experience firsthand what it would be like to have people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and praising the Lord together. What a beautiful picture that was. Just as God called Abraham to be a blessing to the nations, we, as followers of Christ, are commissioned to be missionaries in this world. The great commission given to us by Jesus commands us to go into all the world, sharing the good news of salvation and making disciples of every nation. God wants you to care about missions. God wants you to care about what he is doing around the world. He wants you to pray for missionaries and pray for the countries around the world and support missionaries financially if you can. Have you ever watched the, the Paralympics? Not to be confused with the Special Olympics, the Paralympics is an Olympic event for world-class athletes who have uh, some sort of disability, like perhaps blindness. Now, when a runner, a blind runner runs an event, they are tethered together to a sighted runner who runs alongside them, stride for stride, and guides them around the track. These sighted guide runners must be in peak condition and match the blind runner in both steps and speed as they run the race together. And if they win, they both get a medal. This is a good analogy of what missionaries need. When you partner with us or another missionary, either through prayer or finances, we see you as running the race together with us. We couldn't run this race without you. You're running alongside of us. You're tethered to us in a spiritual sense. Without your prayers, we're lost. Without your financial support, we wouldn't be able to live there in Ireland and work and do ministry. This is a race that we run together. We consider you a partner in ministry and not just a supporter. When we share the hope of the gospel with people who have no hope in Ireland, you are there with us. We're in this together. The Great Commission is for all Christians. Some of us are called to leave our home country and live in a foreign land. Others are called to share Christ with the people in your sphere of influence. God wants you to care about the people around you, being missional in your daily interactions. Everyone you meet, whether it be strangers, friends, family, coworkers, Anyone and everyone is potentially a soul that is longing to be restored to a right relationship with their heavenly father. In 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through us. 
The great preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Let me say that one more time. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I hope that quote pierces your heart this morning like it does mine. In conclusion, I, I want us all, I want to urge us all to be the people, to be a people who, like Abraham, exemplifies radical trust in God's promises, steadfast obedience to his call, and an unwavering dedication to being a blessing to the nations. Through our lives, may the name of Jesus be proclaimed, and may his kingdom advance as we participate in the work of the Great Commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the powerful message found in Genesis 12, where we see your missionary heart revealed. As you called Abram to embark on a journey of faith, proclaiming your name to all the nations. Lord, we are humbled by your unwavering commitment to reach out to a broken world and bring salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for choosing us to be your imperfect vessels and to be your ambassadors of love, grace, and truth. Light a fire within us and kindle in our hearts a passion for the lost, both around the world and in our, in our own cities and towns. Help us to understand that we are called to be active participants in your redemptive plan. Remind us daily that it is a privilege to be called your children and, and participate in your mission. Lord, help us to be faithful stewards of your gospel. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.